have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. Wherever you go. Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. Looks like we have a great crowd here for this service. I know we have a bunch of people worshiping online as well. In fact, I got word this morning that we have Jojo in France and her family worshiping with us. So that is awesome. Uh, if you guys know the story behind Jojo, she came and she visited her sister this past Christmas and was baptized here at First Church. And now she and her family are watching online. So if you are here on site, would you put your hands together and welcome in our entire online community? They're joining us right now. So glad to have people from all over Oklahoma, all over the country, all over the globe worshiping here as one family in Christ. And hopefully everybody had a pretty good week this week. It was kind of an odd week with all the winter weather, but nothing gets people excited like the prediction of snow. My wife, Allison, Tuesday evening went to Walmart, not because they were predicting snow, but because we needed a few things. And she walked by the bread aisle and she sent me a picture, a text message of what she saw. This is what she saw. She said, people are going crazy. Crazy. And that's what happens when there's the prediction of snow. People go nuts. People go crazy. Sometimes in a fun, exciting way. Sometimes in a not so exciting way. Not so fun way. And it's funny to me how snow is one of those things that some people can just get really pumped about and enthused about and then other people dread. You know, my kids, when they hear that there might be snow coming, they just can't wait. They're looking out the window. You know, they're excited for snow to come. But then other people, when they hear about snow, they're like, oh man, the roads are going to be a mess and we're going to have to shovel our driveways and schools are going to be shut down and business is going to be shut down and it's going to be cold and all this extra work. And immediately they start to think about all the negative things. And it's funny to me how two different people can watch the same exact news report, the weatherman saying snow is coming, and they can hear all the same facts, live through the exact same experience, and one of them is all excited and happy and full of joy, and the other one is just dreading what they hear. It's funny how we as human beings are like that. And the reason why we're like that, the reason why two different people can look at the same thing but see something totally different is because of this one word right here, perspective. See, whether you've ever thought about this or not, we interpret everything that we see. In life, we interpret everything we see. And sometimes what we think we see is not what someone else sees, even though we're looking at the same thing, because we're looking at it with a different perspective. Marriage has taught me this. I'm not sure about you in your marriage, if you are married, but in my marriage, there have been multiple different occasions when Allison and I have been looking at the exact same thing, we've been experiencing the exact same experiences, and yet we walk away with two totally different, radically different conclusions. And if you don't believe me that this happens, somebody shared with me this story the other day, and I thought I would share with you about a husband and a wife. Listen to this. A wife 
wife texted her sister one night before she went to bed about her husband. The wife's text read this to her sister. Tonight, he was acting really strange. We met at a restaurant for dinner, but the conversation was forced. After we ate, I suggested a walk. He agreed, but didn't say much while we walked. At one point, I lovingly touched his arm, and he half-smiled. I then asked if he was okay, and he said he was fine. I asked if I had done something to offend him, and he insisted I had not. He said he just had a lot on his mind, and it really had nothing to do with me. But somehow, I feel like it does. After we got home, he immediately sat down on the couch and turned on the TV. I said goodnight, and he distantly said it back. There is something he's not telling me. From downstairs, her husband texted his best friend this message. Lawnmower wouldn't start today. Can't figure out why. (laughs) Very same circumstances. Very same experiences. Two totally different perspectives. See, we like to pretend like some of you guys are just now getting that. Okay, you're, you're, you're with me. All right. Sometimes we like to pretend like we are objective, and we even claim that we are. But something that I have discovered in my short life is that objectivity is a lot easier said than done. We like to say, I just see it like it is. And I just say it like it is. But that's not always the case. And there's a reason for that. Because the lens we use to look at life shapes what we see. The lens we use to look at life ultimately shapes what we see in life. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians these words. He says, we set our eyes not on what we see, but on what we cannot see. For what we see will last only a short time, but what we cannot see will last forever. What's Paul saying here? We don't look at the world through the same lens that everybody else looks at it. We see the world differently because we look at the world through the perspective of heaven. We look at the world as God sees it. And so therefore, we live differently because we see things differently because we look at everything through the lens of heaven. You know, that's how Jesus lived. And that's why Jesus was so different from everybody else in his culture because he would look at a situation differently because he looked at it through the lens of heaven. And that's why when you examine Jesus' life, You'll see everyone else looking at a woman who was caught cheating on her husband, and they're ready to stone her. They're ready to punish her. But Jesus saw a woman who was loved and cherished by God and who knew he knew she could find redemption. That's why everyone else saw a little boy with a sack lunch. But Jesus saw enough to feed thousands. Everyone else saw a storm, and it caused them to panic. But Jesus thought it was a good time to take a nap. Everybody else saw a loudmouth fisherman that was annoying most of the time. But Jesus saw a guy who could be a future leader in his church who would end up impacting millions, if not billions, of lives throughout the history of the church. Everyone else saw the tomb as the end. But Jesus saw the tomb as just the beginning. Because Jesus saw everything through the lens of heaven. 
Let me ask you, what about you? What lens are you using right now to examine your life, to see the situation that you're in right now? Because the lens you use, it will shape how you see your life. I mean, what about when it comes to the news? If you get a news report on your iPhone or if you get on cable television or watch the local news and you hear about current events, how do you see that situation? What lens are you using to look at that situation, to look at the current events all around us? What about when you're sitting in a doctor's office and all of a sudden you get some information that you didn't want to hear from that doctor? What lens are you using to look at that situation? What about when it comes to your family? Maybe if a child that rebels against you or a spouse that seems distant or even a friend that betrays you, how are you looking at that situation? What lens are you using? When it comes to your finances, your job, your hobbies, your neighborhood, your community, you name it, how are you looking at those situations, at those things? What lens are you using? Because I think the question that God wants all of us to ask right now is this, what do you see? Because what you see may be different from what he sees. And what you see may be different from what others around you see because the lens that you use makes a difference. And that's why two people can look at the exact same situation and hear all the same facts but come to two radically different conclusions. And I think we're seeing that play out a lot in our culture today. I mean, a lot of people are saying that our culture is in crisis right now. I don't think it's a shock to any of you if I were to say, hey, we are living in crazy times, and we are living through things that a few years ago we never thought we would have to live through. And there's so much anxiety and uneasiness and restlessness and frustration and fear right now. And I think the reason why all those things are growing in our culture is because of uncertainty. We love certainty. When things are uncertain and things are unknown, it scares us and we tend to panic. And a lot of people are wondering what the future is going to hold. What will the future be for our families? What will the future be for our communities? What will the future be for our country, for our world? What will the future be for our jobs, for our economy, for our schools, for our churches? What will the future look like? Because we're living in a season right now that none of us could have predicted. In many ways, the season that we're experiencing right now is uncharted territory. And that terminology, it scares people because we like certainty. We like to know what's next. But we're living in a time, in a day and age, where we don't know what's going to come next. And everything seems to be changing. And during this season, what are we going to do? And I think that's why this series we're in right now is so important because the Bible gives us example after example of God leading his people through uncertain territory, leading his people through uncharted territory, leading his people into the unknown, and him doing incredible things in their midst because they trusted in him and they didn't let the situation that surrounded them hold them back. When I think about uncharted territory or living in a time of uncertainty, I think of Corrie Tim Boom. Some of you guys may have heard her name. She lived during the period of World War II. 
and her family, they were Dutch watchmakers. And when the Nazis started to arrest Jews and take them off to concentration camps, Corrie Moon's family decided to protect some of them and hide them in their home. And several Jews were saved because of that activity. But eventually, Corrie Moon and her family, they were caught doing this. And their punishment for trying to rescue the Jews from their concentration camps was that Corrie Moon and her family were also sentenced to life in a concentration camp. And Corrie, she was able to survive. She actually made it out of the concentration camp. And after she got out, she talked about that the reason why she kept going was because of her hope in Jesus, because of her love for Jesus. And she shared her hope and her faith with those around her. And many who she was with came to know who Jesus was because of her own testimony. And after she was released from, from her concentration camp, she then wrote books and she made tours and she spoke and she wrote articles all about how her faith got her through those uncertain times. And one quote that I will never forget that I heard from Corey Tim Boom is this. It says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I love that. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Because even though we haven't been here before, what we're experiencing, what we're going through, it doesn't catch him off guard. He's not surprised by it. It's not bigger than him. And that's a principle we find in Scripture. In fact, David writes in Psalm 31, I trust you, Lord. I affirm you are my God. My future is in your hands. In other words, I may not know what's coming next, but God, you do, and I trust you with my future. My future is in your hands. What David is saying is everything else around me may be changing. Everything else around me may be evolving. And I may not know what to do next. But God, you remain the same. You are in control. And you have a plan and a purpose for my life. One of my favorite movies is the movie uh, Hoosiers. I just love this movie because it's about basketball and it's one of those like underdog stories. And I've watched it a dozen times. Anybody else like the movie Hoosiers? Anybody? Okay, yeah, a lot of hands going up. It's a classic. In my opinion, it's one of the greatest sports movies of all time. And my son Alex hadn't watched it. And one of the ladies in our church heard that and she bought it for Alex so that we could watch it together as a family. And we watched it the other evening. If you haven't seen it, it's about this small town high school basketball team that is from the state of Indiana. They're from Hickory, Indiana. It's based on a true story. And they ended up winning the state championship against all odds. And it's just a great underdog feel-good story. And there's a lot about basketball principles and their life principles. It's just, it's great. But one of my favorite scenes in this movie happens when the team is getting ready to play in the state championship game. They walk into Butler Fieldhouse for the first time, and they had never been there before. They were used to playing in little small gyms, and now they're walking into this big arena, basically, and they are intimidated. They've never seen a gym this big, and you can see it on their faces. You can see it in their body language. They are intimidated. They are scared. They are overwhelmed in this moment, and I love what their coach does. Their coach does something really cool. He grabs a tape measure, 
And he calls a couple of the players and he asks them to measure the distance between the free throw line and the goal on the floor. And the coach says, what is it? And one of the players yells out, 15 feet. And then he asks another player, the tallest player on the team, to put the shortest player on the team on his shoulders and to measure the height from the goal to the floor. He says, how high is it? And after measuring, they said, 10 feet. And then the coach turned to the team and he said, I think that you'll find the measurements the exact same as our gym back in Hickory. And I love that moment because all the players breathe this sigh of relief. They seem to be calm and they laugh. And what was their coach saying? Their coach was saying, listen, we may be in a new environment, And it might seem intimidating and scary. We may have never been here before, but the game hasn't changed. Stick to the game plan. Stick to the way that we play ball and we'll be fine. The environment around us may be different, but the game is still the same. And I believe that if God is telling us anything today as his church, he is telling us just that. Listen, the situation that surrounds us, it may be constantly evolving. Our circumstances may be different. We may be seeing a whole lot of change, but I am still the same. I have not changed. Trust me, follow me, stick to my plan, and we just won't survive these uncertain times. I will allow you to thrive in the midst of them. Because the Bible teaches in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our circumstances may change, but our God is the same. And what we are dealing with today is not bigger than him. He knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly what we need to do. All we need to do is trust him Because his plan has not changed. And I believe that when we see the world through that lens, we'll start to see everything differently. And when the world sees a crisis, we'll see a calling. You see, when something goes missing in the world, when something that is needed is missing in the world, the world calls that a crisis. But we as God's people, when something is missing, we don't see it as a crisis. We see it as an opportunity. We see it as a calling to show the world what they really need, to show the world what they are looking for. And church, I believe this is our moment to show our community, to show our state, to show our country, to show the world what they need in Jesus Christ because people are asking questions that they've never asked before. And God is giving us a great opportunity to not let the times define us, but for us to define the time. For us to redeem this moment that we are in. And for him to do something special in our midst. Because for us, this isn't a crisis. This is a calling. And God wants to use us in phenomenal ways. But in order for that to happen, all depends on how we answer the question, what do you See, because the lens you use will determine how you see the world around you, how you see your life. 
And that's why over the next several weeks we're going to be studying the life and the ministry of Joshua in this series. Because I mentioned there have been many times throughout the history of the human race when God has led his people into uncharted territory. And one of those moments comes in the period when Joshua was leading God's people. And so we're going to be studying the book of Joshua as Joshua leads God's people into the promised land. This uncharted territory, this place where they had never been before. And God's going to do phenomenal things in their midst. And we can learn a lot from the example that we find in the book of Joshua. But before we actually get to the book of Joshua, as we kick off the series today, we're going to back up a little bit. And we're going to look at a moment that took place 40 years prior to Joshua becoming the leader of God's people, the Israelites. We're going to study this morning in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look with me, Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Numbers isn't a book that we study a whole lot, but Numbers records this pivotal moment in the history of Israel. And remember, this is 40 years before Joshua becomes the main leader of the Israelite people. At this point, a guy named Moses is the leader of the people, and Joshua is Moses' assistant. And so basically, God brings his people to the edge of the promised land, this land that he had been promising his people for 400 years, and God has done a whole lot to get his people there. Remember, he's rescued them from their slavery in Egypt, and in doing so, God sent plagues upon Egypt, he parted the Red Sea for the people, he provided for them in the wilderness by guiding them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night, he gave them manna from heaven so that they could eat, I mean, God looked after the people time and time again and they got to physically see the presence of God on Mount Sinai when God gave the Ten Commandments and all the cool stuff that went along with that I mean this was the generation that saw God work in ways like no generation had seen before and so they get to the promised land and they realize or at least God is saying I've done all that so that now you can inherit this land that I promised to you and this is what happens as they're on the edge of the promised land this is in Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Now, before we move on, one word that stands out to me is this word, giving. I want you to notice why the Israelites are going to receive this land. Not because they have the skills and the abilities in order to take it. They're going to receive this land because it is a gift from God. God is going to give it to them. And God talks about this kind of like it's a done deal. This is what I've promised. This is what is going to happen. And so what God says is, I want you to go and explore this land. And by telling Moses to send 12 spies to explore the land, he's not saying, I want you to go gather up some facts and some information so these spies can bring it back to the people and we can take a vote on whether or not this is a good idea. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, this is a done deal. I'm going to give it to you. What I want you to do is send spies in so they can look at how good this land really is. They can bring back some evidence, some fruit from the land. And you can see that what I've been telling you about this land is true. So Moses sends in these 12 spies. The whole point of this this mission was to bring back evidence so the people could get excited Because what God wanted was for the people to be as excited about this as he was. He wanted them to want what he wanted for them. And I think he wants the same for us. I mean, I think we need to rightly ask ourselves, do we really want what God wants to give us? Because God wants us to be excited about this life that he wants to give us. And so these 12 spies, they go into the promised land and they scout it out. They're there for 40 days. And then they come back and listen to the report that they give to Moses and the people. 
They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. In other words, it is a prosperous, it is a land, a prosperous land. It is a land that is abundant and flowing with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Here is the evidence that the land is exactly what God said it is. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. That meant giants. They saw giants in the land. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. In other words, there's people everywhere. And that didn't go over real well with the Israelites because you know what they wanted? They wanted to get to the promised land and it not be occupied. Just walk in and start building your homes and the land is yours. But all of a sudden they get there and there are obstacles in their way. There are people everywhere, not just any people. These are like giants and strong people and military people and they're everywhere. That was not the news that the Israelites wanted to hear and they started to get really anxious to the point that the Bible even says that the people had to be calmed down. And the reason why they need to be calmed down is because 10 of the 12 spies who went in, well, they bring back a negative report. Listen to what 10 of these 12 spies say. They tell the people, we can't attack those people living in the land. They are stronger than we are, which was true. They really were stronger than them, than the Israelites on their own. And they, the 10 spies, spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. These giants come from the the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in their own eyes, and we looked the same to them. In other words, we were small potatoes to them. We can't stand up to them. There's no way we can do this. And their negativity spreads. I'm not sure if you've experienced this, but if you're constantly around a negative person, it rubs off. And so I just want to give you a fair warning. If you've got a close friend who's always negative, either they need to change or you need to change friends, okay? Because eventually their negativity is going to rub off on you. But if you're around an encouraging person, then that person will rub off on you as well. And so sure enough, these 10 spies spread this negative report. And what's interesting is the Bible refers to this as an evil report. That's how that could be translated. This was an evil report that these 10 spies gave. Well, why was it evil? Was it true? No. Everything they said was factually true. Why was it evil? Because it left God out of the equation. Because it left God out of the report. Yes, on their own, the Israelites could not defeat the people living in the land. But the Israelites weren't on their own. And just as those ten spies left God out of the equation, apparently the people started to leave God out of the equation. Because the negativity spreads, and look at what happens. All the Israelites grumbled, complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt, as slaves, by the way, or in this desert that we've been traveling through, why is it that the Lord brings us to this land only to let us fall by the sword, to be defeated? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader, a new leader other than Moses, and go back to Egypt. What? 
Do you remember everything that God did for these people? You know, plagues in Egypt, parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, cloud by day, pillar of fire at night, leading them, Mount Sinai. Do I have to go through the list again? I mean, do you remember everything that God did for these people? Had they forgotten all that? Did they think that God had brought them all this way just to abandon them now? Is that what they really thought? Yep. They got all that way. And they were ready to turn back and go to Egypt where they were slaves or die in the desert. Now, not everybody felt that way. The majority did, but not everybody felt that way. Two of the spies didn't. A guy named Caleb and a guy named Joshua. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, they're upset about this, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly Good, just as God told us. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Now, how does this happen? How is it that you have 10 spies who observe the exact same situation, who come away with one conclusion, and two spies come away with a radically different conclusion? It's like what we said before. The lens we use to look at life shapes what we see. And 10 of the spies were looking at this situation through the lens of fear. And two of the spies... Joshua and Caleb were looking at this situation through the lens of faith. And so let me ask you, how are you looking at your life right now? Are you looking through the lens of fear or the lens of faith? See, the lens of fear just looks at what's right in front of you. You focus on the problem. You focus on the issue. You focus on the obstacle because that's all you can see, just what's right in front of you. But the lens of faith looks at the big picture and it looks back at everything that God has done and everything God has promised to do. And it sees the big picture, sees God's overall plan. And you don't just look at that moment, but you look at the broader context because your faith is bigger than just the moment that you are living in. And so Joshua and Caleb, they look at the people of Israel and they say, don't rebel against God. We haven't got this far on our own. We've only got this far because he's been with us. Do you think we were able to escape the Egyptians and cross the Red Sea and survive in the desert on our own with our own skills and abilities? Of course not. We were only able to do this because God was with us. And now we can do this too because God is with us. What they're trying to tell the people is the same grace that brought us here will carry us through. The grace of God, the favor of God that brought us here will continue to carry us through. God hasn't brought us this far to abandon us, to let us fail. And I think God is telling our generation the same thing as well. But do you know how the people responded after Joshua and Caleb pleaded with them not to rebel against God, but to see the situation, the lens of faith? It says, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. I've been there. <laughs> I've had those moments 
When I have prayed about a situation and I have talked with others uh, who I consider to be spiritual giants and try to get spiritual wisdom and I have thought about a situation over and over again and then I try to make a spiritual decision and then I go talk to somebody who's not thinking spiritually and they immediately criticize me. They immediately want to cut me down. They immediately want to tell me that I'm an idiot because they're looking at the situation through a different lens. See, God's perspective isn't always popular and that's what's happening here. The people want to stone Joshua Caleb. Instead of just listening to them, they want to get rid of them because they're in their way of turning back and going to Egypt. Let me ask you, are you allowing fear to keep you from going where God wants you to go? Because I believe that God has big plans for his church in this generation, but we're not going to see those big plans played out if we continue to allow for fear to hold us back. So you know what God does? God says, okay, I'm going to give you what you asked for. I still love you, and I'm still going to be there for you, and I'm still going to provide for you, but if you want to die in the desert, I'll let you die in the the desert. And I will wait for a generation that's willing to see the promised land through my eyes. Look at what God says. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except for Caleb son of Jephunneh and Joshua son of Nun, the two that saw the promised land through God's eyes. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. In other words, God says, if you want to die in the desert... I'll let you die in the desert. I'll still be there for you. I'll still love you. I'll still provide for you. But you're not going to get to enter the promised land. You're not going to get to see the greater things that I had in store for you. But maybe your children will. Maybe your children will learn from this. And after this generation dies off and your children are the adults, I'll see if they're willing to move forward with me. And so you know what happens? For the next 40 years, the Israelites wander in the desert For the next 40 years, they walk around in circles and do funerals. That's all they do. For the next 40 years, they walk in circles and do funerals. And as I read that, I think God did not deliver his people from their slavery in Egypt for them to walk around in circles and do funerals. And I believe that God wants to tell us the same thing today. A lot of people, that's how they see life. It's just going through the motions, just walking around in circles until they die. But God created you and he created me for so much more. God did not create us to walk around in circles and do funerals. God created us for something better. And I believe that if this generation will look at life through his eyes like he wants us to, we will see the greater things that he has in store for us because God isn't finished with his church yet. See, sometimes we look at the church and we think about it as if the church was started in our lifetimes. But guys, it wasn't this church, this church right here, First Church, is 115 years old. I don't think anybody was around when this church was started. But look at the bigger church, the Big C Church. It's been around for 2,000 years. And for 2,000 years, Satan has tried everything he possibly can to stop the mission, the work of the church. And yet, the church has continued to move forward. Why? Because God's people have seen life through his eyes, through the perspective of heaven. And I believe 
that God has brought us to this point so that he can do greater things through us. He, God, didn't, God hasn't brought us over the past two years through this pandemic and over the past 115 years to the history of our church. And God hasn't brought us to this point in the 2,000-year history of the church for him to give up on his people now. He's brought us here for a reason. And faithfulness isn't holding down the fort. Faithfulness is knocking down the gates of hell. That's why we're here. To make a difference in this world because we don't see the absence of something as a crisis. We see it as a calling. We're here so that God's power can be on display through us. Now, there will always be excuses for why we shouldn't move forward and why we shouldn't live by faith. There will always be excuses. But you see, God's people aren't driven by excuses. We're driven by God's promises. We're not a people who live by excuses. We're people who live by God's promises. Courage isn't the absence of fear, but it's trusting in God's promises in the midst of fear. I read not too long ago something interesting about New York City. You may have heard this. There are more nearsighted people in New York City than any other city in our country. Because of all of the tall buildings... Residents are hemmed in and their fields of vision are limited to short distances. They rarely have to use their sight for long distances. So their eyes adjust and grow accustomed to looking at what is right in front of them. It's interesting, isn't it? See, I think sometimes that's our problem in the church. We're nearsighted. We only see what's right in front of us. And we miss that God has a much bigger plan in store for us. My daughter Addie is four years old, and she's funny because she'll be doing something in the house, you know, playing school or singing or whatever, and Alice and I will look at her, and as soon as we do, she'll say, don't look at me, and she'll do this with her hands. She'll put them over her eyes, as if, to, if she can't see us, then we can't see her, and that's not how that works exactly, but that's what she'll do. Don't look at me, don't look at me, and she'll cover her eyes, and sometimes I think that's what we do. We cover our eyes with obstacles, with issues, with fears, you name it. And what God is telling us is, look past those things. Because I'm still all around you. I haven't gone anywhere. My plan is still true. And I have great things in store for you. Faithfulness isn't holding down the fort. It's knocking down the gates of hell. And right now, if there is something that is standing in your way, if you're being driven by fear... God wants you to see your situation differently because God wants you to know today that you never have to be afraid of an unknown future when you know who he is. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this moment that we've had to open up your word and study. And as we kick off the series and we study the life of Joshua, may we be reminded that you have led your people through uncharted territory numerous times. And today, as we approach this season that we are in, may we see it through your eyes and not through our own. Because we are not living in the midst of a crisis. We're living out our calling for you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.